Hi, I'm Natasha Taylor and this is Open Classrooms, a podcast series produced by the Academic Development Group in Science, Engineering and Health at RMIT. In each episode of Open Classrooms, we talk to a member of staff who's trying out something new or interesting in their teaching. And our guest for episode 20 is Colin Castell, who's the Deputy Dean Learning and Teaching in the School of Engineering. Today, he's here with his teaching hat on, and we're going to talk about what we're going to start talking about, the flipped classroom, um, but it should veer off into some interesting directions, I think. So, hey, Colin, how are you doing? Very good, thank you, and thank you for inviting me. Oh, no, thanks for coming. So, for people who don't know you, kick us off with um, a very short introduction to um, Colin Castell and how he ended up at RMIT. Well, uh, very short. Okay, I'll do my best. <laughs> um, I was an apprentice at British Aerospace, working mm-hmm. in the defence sector. Um, worked there for a while, then Marconi's, then came across the sea to Australia, worked for Australian Defence Industry for a few years, um, had a sea change, dived into academia to do a PhD. Mm-hmm. And um, I suppose the rest is history. I got a, got a gig with Adelaide University, um, started to fall in love, I suppose, with, the, with what made teaching tick, um, became an associate dean there, came across to RMIT and became deputy dean here for learning and teaching in the School of Engineering. Okay, so lots of experience in lectures, small groups, supervisions, you know, the whole breadth of um, the teaching portfolio, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we start off with flipped classroom because I know from talking to you before that there's a good story there and we're going to have a, um, a think about that. So tell us a bit about your experiences of introducing the flipped classroom. Okay, well, the word flip makes mm-hmm. it sound like a very dynamic Mm-hmm. event that you know one day you do it a traditional way and then the next day mm. you totally revolutionize the way you're teaching and it and everything's everything's much better um in my experience it didn't quite work out that way it was more of a a slow somersault mm. and um <laughs> i do recall though the first year that i thought i'd flipped um where i'd put all my material online and uh, I, I had this expectation that students who had been asking for all this material online, mm. should I say, in, in a lot of the feedback, I just had this expectation that they'd dive in and be all the wiser for it. But I, I remember coming to the session that replaced my traditional lectures. It was still, I still, still booked the lecture theatre for question and answer sessions. Mm. And I just recall this, um, this one particular day, it was across the road, in the medical centre and a bit in a big lecture and it's packed out and um, I, I started to talk about some, some very easy concepts and, and I was looking at essentially a sea of stun mullets <laughs> nobody knew what I was talking about and I, I said well did you look at all the stuff online and there's a few nods of nervous nods of heads and I said come on be honest be honest put, put your hands up if you didn't look at what was online mm. and the majority of the class put their hands put up, hands up. They, they, they hadn't looked and I thought mm-hmm. well oh bugger um, so I better go over um, and repeat what I've, you know, what I what I thought they knew, and that was really frustrating. Putting all the effort into you making these pre-recorded lectures mm-hmm. and associated material, and then finding that it just wasn't being utilised. And at the time, I was using Blackboard, and the analytics mm-hmm. of Blackboard were quite powerful. Yeah, they were. And I could actually see um, who was looking at what. Um, so I, I um, harvested all the data there. I thought, what's going to change? And Engineers are very pragmatic by mm-hmm. nature, and I think uh, engineering attracts pragmatic people, and they, they, they tend to try and minimise what they have to do. 
So you have to dangle a bloody big carrot in front of them. Mm. And that's usually called assessment. <laughs> so, <laughs> so is I that wonder. the carrot or this dick? Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. They're, they're chasing, aren't they? So, uh, yeah. Um, so I thought, okay, I'm going to put some assessment associated to this. Um, and I, I introduced quizzes. The quizzes, um, a lot of initial work because um, I wanted a quiz for each online online lesson, as I started to call them, rather than lectures. Oh, okay. And uh, they weren't, uh, you know, they, they, you, you didn't have to have uh, a PhD in rocket science to answer these these quizzes. I mean, uh, a couple of them were, were good humoured. It might say, you know, what colour shirt was Colin wearing in the mm-hmm. in the uh, in the lesson. Um, but you know, it would test them. It would make them reflect on on some of, I suppose, the um, the salient points of the lecture. And, so was uh, it a test like um, content and knowledge questions, or more about kind of what did you learn? What areas are you not clear about? You know, well, it's, it's sort of yes, all of the above. I've always taught design, okay, and. I suppose there's a lot of intuitive stuff that comes with design, but there are some difficult technical aspects of it as well. And, I, and students really needed to to be able to get across those to move on. So I really wanted to make sure that they understood these issues. So I, I was trying to tease out what students were actually getting to grips with yeah. um, so that I could reflect upon it and so that could inform me when I when I engaged with the students. And the quizzes were great at doing that because I could go in into the grade centre and see where the students yeah. were, were struggling. So I only put a 1%... Uh, value to each of these quizzes and so of course it it took a year uh, for for this change to to really be obvious Uh, dive back into into blackboard and the the hits the traffic that was going through the website so Mm. so not just not just looking at the the traffic on the on the links that took you to the quiz but the the traffic on the on the lessons on the associated material it had gone through the roof Mm. it literally gone through the roof so so for me that was a crucial aspect of flipping the class was making sure that there's something that really encourages the students to go online Mm. and uh, and make that make that initial effort to you know to open up the, the lid of their laptop and dive in once there, however, I think the trick is keeping them engaged, mm. and, and that's why I spent a lot of time focusing on on the material that was on there. So, um, I, lo- I really like the idea of the word lesson, and then that makes me think back to the first time I got into the whole world of flipped. And like many people, realised that I'd probably been doing <laughs> aspects of flipped for a long time, just didn't have the label. Um, but I started using TED-Ed, which was a oh, free yeah. open tool. And it allowed you to build a lesson, explicitly called it a lesson, yeah. using a TED Talk or a YouTube clip, and then had a quiz tool. Yeah. I say had, it's probably still there, has. And lots of other kind of functionalities, but the emphasis was on creating a lesson, not yeah. just dumping materials in an online bucket kind of thing yeah. and expecting students to, to work out in their own way how to use video, how, you know, when to do the reading, how to bring it all together and what, you know, how that links to the active class element of the flipped model. So I, I love that use of that word lesson. Well, it's grown on me. I, I mean, initially, when I started using it, it was just, I suppose, the neat freak aspect of me <laughs> where, um, you know, you could, you could produce a folder that had stuff yeah. in that folder. And the thing about a lesson, it meant like a cluster stuff together around a certain topic you know whether that be the recording whether it be reading material mm-hmm. whether it be additional sort of um you know links to to stuff outside or my own little sort of desktop recordings that i did i could cluster them all together in a topic and and they, they initially they 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 just sat there quite neat and tidy under the word mm-hmm. lesson but when i reflected on that more so 
you know, I could have a lesson plan. Yep. Um, I could <laughs> I could come into something nature and design, start designing what that lesson mm. needed to look like. Okay, here's all the neat and tidy bits, but let's actually start planning it now and think about, you know, what needs to come in at this point. Um, okay, so this is what's online. What activities do I need that need to sort of support this in the face-to-face sessions? So it's almost like I stumbled, in, stumbled onto that, particular word by accident but it became a very useful word to me i i was at a Mm -hmm. conference recently that was mainly aimed at um high schools and so there's a lot of teachers there and of course it was just getting into into their language and hearing their language of uh you know sort of lesson plans and the like and um but that's that's been the story of my life really i suppose (laughs) is stumbling into what ended up being good practice by accident yeah, yeah. and then having the experts tell me that oh, actually Colin, you know what you're doing here is 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 a flipped classroom or what you're doing here is you know activity-based learning or whatever yeah, yeah. no i just thought i'd give it a go <laughs> yeah no and that's a, a very common story yeah and, and a good thing i think i think you know there's that interesting relationship between our identities as discipline-based academics and teachers yeah and scholarly teachers and you know how we make those things work together. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure that the the university system or the traditional university system really lends itself particularly well to to good scholarship. I know no, we encourage no, no. it. I know we encourage it. But if you look at the way a lecturer or a course coordinator mm. operates, they they essentially operate as a sole trader. Absolutely. So they're given their course. It's their business. Mm-hmm. It's their it's their sort of. Yeah, their company, so to speak, mm-hmm. and and they're left to their own devices. So the the sharing of knowledge, I suppose, the sharing of best practice can be somewhat challenging, particularly when you've got somebody uh, that's put out a lot of invested time into their course, Absolutely. and you know they kept busy. They kept busy. Mm-hmm. It's not the sleepy hollow of, of you know <laughs> a few a uh, few decades ago that universities used to be. I mean, they're, 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 it's, it's bloody hard work. It is, and so. To expect somebody to change to a, um, you know, the invoke contemporary practice overnight, it, it's challenging because, as I say, they've got their they're the sole traders of their of their business. Um, they've invested time. Uh, they need to churn it out the next semester and the next semester. Why should they take the risk? Yeah, and, um, and what's this in is, it for them? Yeah, what this underpins one of the things that drives me mad about the flipped classroom movement is almost a sense that it's an easy no <laughs> an easy way out sometimes no, it's like, oh, no, you the, just put your lectures not online. at all not at all the, um, yeah i i got I, I love playing with toys and and when i when i really started trying to lift the quality of um my stuff online i i would be missing the last train home yeah uh, i'd uh you know you'd, you'd wait till the humdrum died down and um i'd actually against university policy i painted one of my walls green so i could green screen a lot of it <laughs> but you know the, the corridors would die down I'd, I'd shut myself in my office and i'd lose myself in the uh, in in the moments of, of just trying to create this this material for online so you know the average day might might have been about 20 hours when i was producing some mm. of this material um my motivator was i loved it i just loved, yeah. I loved messing around and it, it's almost like you know when you're Christmas and you and you bought somebody a nice present and you're looking you're looking for that expression in their face when they open it and you know you want them to be amazed by by what you've done for them mm. and and that's what gave me the big kick mm. with my students yeah. you know I'd, I'd I'd go the extra mile and I'd rock up to the face to face sessions and I'd be you know trying to trying to figure out the room and. And that was my Christmas moment when I could see that the students were really getting a lot out of what I what I put in. Mm. 
So, um, yeah, but it's certainly not easy. Uh, no, it's not. And you have to think ahead as well. I have to think about your kind of starting point where you, you know, you turn up and the majority of students in the room haven't actually looked at the stuff. They haven't yeah. done the thing that you no. need to happen in order for the flip model to work. And lots of the conversations I have with people stem on that insecurity. What happens when I pitch up yeah. and they haven't done the work? And yeah. what's really funny is I do this approach sometimes with staff and out of everyone they're the ones that definitely won't do the work so yeah. you have to think ahead and think right what do I do when I walk into that room and they haven't done it yeah is it ever an option to send them away and say right well the whole lesson was planned around the idea that you'd done the work so you haven't done the work so anyone who hasn't you can leave yeah is that an option well, it is, I guess. <laughs> I don't know how many times you could do it over the course of a 12-week uh, oh, period. I, I but, think I must uh, be hardcore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, it's always an option. I mean, I, I always had that ace up my sleeve. that I, I And this is what kept me feeling safe in a, mm. in a lecture theatre, that, you know, if ever I couldn't control a lecture theatre, I had the option to walk out. I, mm. I never had to play that card, mm. thankfully. But, but that was my... Um, that was my sort of safety that I knew, well, hang on a minute, you know, if somebody's really sort of giving me shit and, and they're not coming down, I, I, can, I can just walk away. Um, but and I, and I would have, but I, I never had to. I never had to. No. How did the students, or how do the students react to that new model? Because that, again, this is another theme that often comes up in conversations about flipped classroom is that you were asking them to do something a bit different. Yeah. Were your students on board or, yeah. I mean, did you have to spend a lot of time persuading them or did they get it? No, no, because essentially I was giving them what they were asking for, um, uh, albeit mm. a, a bit of effort in trying to figure out exactly how to do that. Um, I've always been a reflective practitioner from my very first teaching experience when I got hit on the back of the head with a bit of rolled up paper. <laughs> I thought, I'm not going to let that happen again. So f for me, you know, I, I remember ripping ripping open the, because the, 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 the CSs back in those days were Adelaide, they were called CELTS, Student Evaluations and Learning and Teaching. They were always mm. hand-delivered. And I remember ripping them open and going straight to all the things that students have said and written. Mm. Um, so the the qualitative feedback, um, qualitative feedback, sorry, was was always extremely important to me, and that informed what I needed to tweak yeah, and adjust. Absolutely. Just so it's more important than the numbers often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, that does your ego a lot of good, though. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, take yeah. your deputy dean. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but no, the so I I don't think I'd ever really forced something down their throat that they didn't want so mm. um my classrooms were always enjoyable so the, the other thing that, that i'd like to bring to teaching is fun you don't have to do much research in psychology or neuroscience to figure out that that actually helps learning mm. so the students like it um what is fun what is fun for you well, not being the opposite of fun, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, no, I, I like to see people, I suppose, getting the most out of things. And um, I think that's probably what's, you know, seeing students getting the most out of things is probably what's kept me engaged with teaching over the last um, 20 odd years. Um, How do you get fun into your teachings? Lots of people, I had a conversation earlier this week, exactly on this point with someone, especially when they're new to teaching. Being scared of introducing fun things to the classroom because of the perception that students will find them silly. Well, what's the opposite of that? I mean, you know, mm. if you don't have a bit of fun, mm. um, a student's going to find you overly serious. Mm. Um, dare I use the word boring? 
Yeah, fun's not a bad thing. I mean, yeah, it's no. always got to be appropriate fun. I mean, use humour in the right context at the right time. The timing, as they say, is everything. Um, <laughs> uh, and do you get, do you have the problem that I have as a, a fellow uh, Brit that sarcasm doesn't always translate well, especially in an international teaching context? I, I, this is my real challenge. Well, I, 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 I don't think I use sarcasm, but I do like to point out irony. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I... I like humour, and I do take a, a, a few bits of advice out of some of the great, great comedians. Um, mm. Like, you know, never, never pick on your audience, uh-huh. uh, or never, you know, pick on on personal aspects of your audience. I'm not sure it was that said that. Whether it was Billy Connolly, can't have been because he regularly picks on his audience. Um, That's really interesting. I've just been reading Phoebe Waller Bridge's book, uh, right. where she talks about the relationship between performer and audience yeah. and um, using the tools and, and kind of crossing the line sometimes yeah. it really made me think about teaching and you do don't you you have to manage that relationship with the audience and you do, you how do. you're going to bring them into the performance you do I and, and the word, but. But I think the the other crucial thing I think is a, is a, it's a word you've got to keep reminding yourself and that's respect mm. um, you don't want to risk alienating any one no. person mm-hmm. in the room at the um, you know for the benefit of others so it's that, that that's extremely important to me I, you know I, I think if I if I look back on my life I may have done that inadvertently at times but you know it's 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 not about keeping the majority happy in a classroom no. it's about keeping everybody mm. happy in the classroom so um and that's what makes them come we often end up having conversations about problems of attendance and people yeah. not coming and you know when they feel part of that group they want to come well, and they want the, to come I, and be part I've never of it. suffered from um, I mean I, I remember where, when the conversations first started um, emerging around flipped classrooms there was this fear that students wouldn't turn up mm. to the lecture theatres but I never I never had that problem I, I, I always like I <sighs> I've always worked hard to keep students interesting, uh, interested. <laughs> sorry, um, but I've I've never struggled with class participation. I there's been times when you know why they're not there. Um, mm. You know, if you if you just yeah. stop and think for a minute, well, of course they've got their 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 major assessment due yeah. tomorrow from another class. Of course they're going to skip yours mm. to get their assessment in. So yeah, but I've I, I think when you get the blend right. Mm. when you have the right ingredients in the mix that all sort of harmonise well, then students see reason to come and see the live gig. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They want to add value. I mean, they're not... If you've got stuff online that's just a repetition of what Mm. you've got face-to-face, well, why do they need to come? So this is why I'm not a big fan, you know, the whole Echo 360 thing. I know know it's a good safety net Mm. for for students if they miss a lecture, but that's all it should ever be seen as. I mean, we say this, it's a safety. You know, it's it's, it, it's it, well, yeah. I did put the word "good" in front of that, didn't yeah, I? You um, did. It's not a good safety net. It's a safety net. Yeah. I mean, like, okay, you know, we all have our dentist appointments, and uh, and students do do the, the, the reality is is that they, they do have it a bit tougher these days in mm. terms of balancing their professional yep. life. You know, they they have to work. Um, coming to university is expensive, mm. unfortunately. They, you know, a lot of them uh, are from overseas. They've they've got I- issues that they've got to deal with. Uh, so there were, and you know, there's health issues as well. So students will miss lectures. Um, even the most diligent will miss lectures. So it is good to have a safety net of sorts where they can at least uh, dive in and, and and see what was said. I do recall though the the thing that really made me want to go quite quite mad on on the quality of my online lectures with the whole green screen type thing. It was an episode when my daughter 
was listening to a recorded lecture. I could hear this 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 monotonous noise coming out of her bedroom, and uh, it was that point where I said, "I was you know going to knock on the door. Do you want a cup of tea?" Knock on the door, no answer. And so gently opened the door, and my daughter's got her desktop um, machine playing this recorded lecture with this uh, very boring sounding woman, uh, um, uh, um, uh, you know, all the way through it. Um, lots of sort of microphone noise and mm-hmm. uh, and all this sort of stuff going on, coughs and splutters, and and this just monotonous drone coming out of a computer. My daughter had her back to a com- to the computer, and she was scrolling on her phone on Facebook, and and just <laughs> well, totally, <laughs> totally and completely disconnected yep. from the online experience. So I thought, well, what's going to make students want to look at the screen? Mm. So. Yeah, I dived into the whole green screen thing. I, I did one last night, actually. I've, I've had to prepare three three lectures for this semester. Mm. Quite excited about being part of engineering science this year with uh, Majid's course. But yeah, so that that was my turning point was was in terms of lifting the quality of what I put online was the fact that the post-recorded lectures from a lecture theatre are actually quite a terrible experience, and yeah. no one should rely on that um, as as being their online content. Mm. No, I agree. It's been interesting. There's so many things I could follow up on and we will run out of time quite soon. But if you were giving advice to anyone who was sat there thinking, okay, I might like to find out more about this and, and give Flip to go, but I'm a bit worried about it. What would be your tip? Your, your oh, it's going to be one of those advice. things. That when people hear me say it, they're going to say, <coughs> that's easy for you to say. Mm. Well, it is. I just open and shut my mouth and the words come out. But uh, it, I, I think like, if you're going to be – now, I've got my teaching hat on. I don't yeah, have my depth yeah, to no, do. This is probably going to get me into trouble on. as well. <laughs> stop chasing the the, uh, the CES figures. Stop chasing mm-hmm. the GTS. Stop chasing those those high numbers. Because uh, if you focus, I think, on the those actual figures, it, it's going to take away your bravery. It's going to take away mm-hmm. the risks that you have to take to to do something really exciting jump into your teaching because of a passion i think you know change things because you want to because you want to give something to go the numbers will pop out you know if, if you do something that you're passionate about and you want to share that passion with students and you want to see how they react with it and you're keeping your finger on the pulse of the students to see what they think of what you've done you know what you're proud of what you've done the numbers will pop out so i think be brave um, follow your passion and and stop chasing those numbers that we bang you over the head with. I <laughs> could hug you. No, I completely agree. And of course, there are so many other ways that you can understand the impact of you know innovations in teaching um, as you're going along, and not being too ambitious and doing the whole thing all in one go. Being realistic about what you can achieve. Oh yeah, in, yeah, because our clock ticks very slow. Yes, absolutely. and uh, and I think a lot of the people that have that, that have joined um, academia or, or joined our industry who are not academic, I think that's probably one of their biggest surprises. Mm. That our clock ticks <laughs> at a very slow rate. Semester one, semester two, semester one, semester two, and to get into that heartbeat, you realise that. Yeah, it takes time to initiate change, mm. to measure change, and to fine-tune change. You've got to, each one of those steps needs to happen on one of the heartbeats. If you come from industry, um, you know, maybe you're from, I don't know, the uh, leadership in the banking sector or wherever, and, and you find yourself in academia, those other areas would have worked at a much faster heart rate. So yep. the change is probably frustrating for those I was people. I very frustrating. But it's the way it is. You can't, you can't mess 
with the heartbeat. No, well, no, you can't. But I think sometimes we could learn from them too. So I think those of us that haven't been outside and are stuck in the slow heartbeat sometimes need that little bit of chivying on sometimes. Well, one week semester. So <laughs> no, no, no. Get, get no, no, we're not going to go down that line. Um, <laughs> well, get to that but thing, yeah, so, no, um, you know what I mean. <laughs> I Just do, I do, the, I do. But, but the, 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 there is a rhythm. There is a rhythm. Reimagining the, the, yeah. what's possible. And sometimes we can not make excuses, but we can... You know. Well, you're right. I mean, look, you're right. I mean, and, you know, you said this conversation could go off on a tangent. It's is probably just about to. The, the semester model has been around for a long time. Um, it's not a bad model, is it, really? It's, it's, no, uh, I think it it's, uh, Look at engineering. I mean, crikey. Mm-hmm. Um, it's put people on the moon. Can't be too bad. Um, it's, you know, it's, there's, there's aeroplanes that can fly faster than the speed of sound. I mean, it's not really that wrong. So, Again, just to sort of uh, quote an engineering cliche, if it ain't broke, why fix it? (laughs) Well, I see no better way to end this conversation than on the moon, really. (laughs) Like most of our conversations, I think, Colin, it's been absolutely brilliant um, talking to you. And um, I'm sure we'll have you back because we we did struggle at the start of our conversation to think about what on earth we were going to narrow down the conversation to. And I'm really glad we did flip classrooms. It's something I get really excited about. And um, I hope that lots of other people would find interesting. Well, it is if you dig a little bit deeper be, be yes. below the, the you know what it's called, which the, uh, yep. which I think is an Americanism actually. I, I, I think, think I think the actual model came from Scandinavia a lot before it got kidnapped by the Americans and uh, and got spun, so to speak. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Mm. Like so many concepts, but there we go. Um, Anyone who's interested in following up on some of the ideas um, that Colin's raised today, we will ensure that there are some resources on the blog page on Sister. Uh, This has been Open Classrooms, episode 20, recorded at our MIT University in Melbourne.